Good morning, and welcome to this service to all who are here, as well as those joining us through streaming. I invite you to stand and join me in the call to worship, which is printed in your bulletin. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice today and be glad in it. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession. Lord Jesus, enter the sanctuary of our hearts. We fall down before you. We worship you as we sing the hosannas that hail you, Lord of our lives. You are our hope and our salvation. Praise be to you forever. This we pray in your name. Amen. It is great to see you as uh, we gather for worship today and as the children uh, bring the palm branches down and we celebrate this Palm Sunday. 
We're glad that you're here, and I want to invite you to take a moment and share a word of welcome, a greeting, a word of peace with others who are here in worship this morning. There are a few uh, an announcements in your bulletin and a few inserts that I want to bring to your attention. Uh, as we um, move forward into this Holy Week, there are some, some activities that we want to uh, invite you to be a part of, encourage you to be a part of. And there's an insert in your bulletin related to that. Um, it has a, a list of the uh, various activities uh, this special week, Thursday night or Monday, Thursday service, which is a time to remember that last night of Jesus' life on earth when he meets with his disciples in the upper room. The service is, um, has a, a lot of imagery, a lot of symbolism. It's, there's some interactive things that go on in the service as well. And uh, we hope you'll be part of that Thursday night at 7. Uh, Friday, we have our annual uh, Journey to the Cross, only this year it's a little bit different. This year, instead of meeting in the uh, community room, the gym, we'll be meeting here in the sanctuary. And while we will certainly have a focus on what happens on that first Friday uh, 2,000 years ago, what we really are focusing on this year is the implications of that for us, for our lives, and for the world. And so we hope that you will join us anytime between 10 and 6. It's come and go. Feel free to stay as long or as little time as you would like. We have some devotionals uh, written for you. Every communion will be offered as well. And uh, some interactive things as you think about the implications of the cross. And that will be Friday, 10 to 6. And then next Sunday is Easter Sunday, this most high and holiest day of the year. And we have a different, totally different schedule next Sunday. The first service is at 7.45, and this will be a service centered around baptism. We have six people who are being baptized uh, next Sunday morning. We'll have a breakfast that follows, and there's an insert in your bulletin about the breakfast. It's a fundraiser for our youth group. There's not a charge for it, but we do take an offering. And if you'd like to, uh, to donate some food items, that would be helpful to them. Whatever they make off of the breakfast through the offering and things will help them toward a missions trip later this year. And then our worship service will be at 10 o'clock. And uh, I have found that the more involved I am in all of these activities and events through the week, the more glorious Easter Sunday is when we come together next week. So we invite you and encourage you to be a part of these activities. Uh, just a couple of other things. Uh, next Sunday morning, we do need a, a few people to help, a couple of people to help with uh, teaching children's church. If you would be interested in doing that, you can contact Emily Hoffman. Also, we are preparing to make the nursery schedule for May through September. If you haven't yet signed up and you'd like to, there are a few forms on the back table. Uh, or just contact the church office right away tomorrow morning and we'll get you on the list. And we're continuing to do sign up for our directory pictures. And if you haven't yet signed up, we encourage you to do so uh, 24th, 25th, and 26th of this month when those pictures will be taken. And uh, we would encourage you to be a part of that and hopefully a part of uh, the events of this week and the events to come.
Please join me in the Palm Sunday reading, which will be seen on the screens in front of you. And please note that there will be parts for the leader, for all, and for women, and for men. For one day, Lord, for just one day, everything seemed to go well. They would have preferred to have you ride into the city on a white stallion. Once, during a long, hot trip to Galilee, you stopped for a drink of water at a well in Samaria. In gentle humility, you revealed yourself to her as the living water. Overjoyed, the woman told her neighbors that she had met the Messiah. And then, that final trip to Jerusalem, the people hailed you, Lord, on that one day when everything seemed to be going so well. You knew how quickly the shouts of Hosanna would turn into cries of let him be crucified. We glorify you, Jesus, for steadfastly setting your face toward a city where you knew you would suffer pain, betrayal, and death. Our Old Testament scripture reading is from Zechariah chapter 8, verses 20 through 23, and chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come, and the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, Let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going, and many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, Let us go with you, because we have heard that God is with you. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. 
I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. He will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. As the ushers come forward to assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings, I invite you to stand for the glory of Patri. God, how our hearts are overwhelmed by your goodness. May others, through us, catch a glimpse of what you are, and thus may they also come to know the greatness that surrounds your name. Amen. You may be seated.
As we contemplate the, uh, the coming, the passion, and the death of Christ, please join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together. God, our Lord and Creator, we acknowledge that we have sinned against you. Our actions have fallen short of Christ. Our attitudes have not reflected Christ. Our words have not communicated Christ. We have been more concerned with our own comfort than with our neighbor's pain. We too often use our resources to protect what we want, rather than being burdened with compassion for what others need. In our fascination with self, we have not loved you with our whole heart, We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. Nevertheless, you have kept faith with us. We ask for your mercy upon us. Strip us of all that is unchristian and help us to live up to our calling through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the coming of Christ and for the passion, the death of Christ that changes us and changes everything. We come today in adoration and thanksgiving for who you are and for what you have done to open our lives to you, to receive what you desire to give and to share with you the burdens of our hearts because we know that you hear us because we know that you answer our prayers in the way that you know is best. We pray today, Father, for all among us who are grieving. We pray especially for Bruce and Denise Campbell as they grieve the death of Bruce's father. We ask that your comforting presence would be upon them and upon all of us here today who feel the sense of loss and grief and pain. We pray for all among us who are struggling with health issues. We pray especially today for Storer Emmett, Ben King, Doris Asepian, Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, Laurel Buker, Bill Getty, Warren and Ella Woolsey, Phil Muker, Mike Raybuck, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, 
Dick Gould, Emily Crickler, and others who are on our hearts and our minds today. Father, we pray for the other burdens and needs that we live with. Financial burdens, relationships that are fractured, things that relate to our work, our homes, our personal lives. And ask for your grace, your healing, your mercy. Father, we pray for this church. We thank you for the ministries of this church. And as we watch the children coming down and with the palm branches, we're reminded of the great privilege we have of so many children in our church and the great responsibility this brings to us. We pray, Father, that you will give us grace to nurture the faith of our children, to be willing to sacrifice and to give of ourselves that they might know you and live their lives to follow you. We pray, Father, for the churches around us. And today we we pray especially for Our Lady of Angels, Roman Catholic Church in Cuba. We pray for this, this gathering of believers, that they would be bonded together in your love and that they would bear witness of your love to their community and beyond. And Father, we think of our nation and our world We pray that you will bring peace to our world of violence and war. We think especially of the nation of Syria. This week's events of chemical attacks and bombings, retaliation. Lord, we pray that you will bring peace to this land of people that you deeply love. And we ask, Father, that you will help our nation, the leaders of our nation, the leaders of the nations of the world, to know the right way to respond in the best interests of the people of Syria. Father, we pray for refugees around the world. We ask that you would bring not only peace to them and protection, but also the ability to return to their homes that they desperately seek to do. And Father, we pray for your church around the world. We pray for Joel and Barb Trudell as they work with SIL in Africa as they continue to work with with, uh, advocacy and and collaboration and minority language needs. Help them as they they continue to help Africans to to work in literacy and in in spreading the gospel through your word. And we pray, Father, that you would bless their efforts and multiply their efforts in ways that they might not have ever imagined. And we pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters who face great difficulty because of their faith in you. Just seeing this morning about the attack in Cairo as the church there was doing what we are doing today, celebrating Palm Sunday. As they grieve the deaths, as they they deal with the fear, as they try their best to be a witness to those who attack them, Give them your grace, your strength, your courage, your protection, your peace. Father, we pray that you will open our eyes to your presence among us. Give us grace to continue to trust you as we surrender to you. And we ask all of this through the mercy of Christ, who goes to the cross for us, and who leaves for us the model for prayer which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Our New Testament scripture reading is Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 46. Following the tradition of the church, I invite you to stand, if you are able, for the reading of the gospel. Following the gospel reading, children are dismissed for children's church. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
King Jesus rides on a milky white horse, no man works like him. The river of Jordan he did cross, no man works like him. He is King of kings, he is Lord of lords. Lord Jesus Christ, the first and last, no man works like him. And he comes for me, no man works like him. He comes to set his people free, no man works like him. He is King of kings, he is Lord of lords. Lord Jesus Christ, the first and last, no man works like him. Not every preacher that gets to request a song to be part of his sermon, uh, and I requested that from Seth. Good job, and, and Amanda. Uh, can you do that in any church in Allegheny County? Maybe not, but I did it here at Houghton. I thought of that song right on King Jesus when I uh, found out that I would preach on this Sunday, and um, it's a favorite spiritual of mine. Spirituals written, of course, out of oppression and and sadness, and yet when they look at King Jesus, they find hope. But of course, this song is singing about the King Jesus found in Revelation chapter 19. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His name is the Word of God. On his robe and on his thigh he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Earlier in the book of Revelation, John records, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. I think you can hear the hallelujah chorus of the Handel's Messiah there in the book of Revelation. But this is a far cry from the humble Jesus riding in peace toward Jerusalem in the scriptures that we focus on today. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but we're going to particularly look at Luke and then a little bit in Matthew. Is this the same king? What kind of king is Jesus on Palm Sunday riding on a donkey? And what does this intriguing drama have to do with us today and, and our world? A lot. Now, I realize this is a very familiar passage. You've already heard it. You've seen the kids wave their palm branches. It's something we celebrate every year thinking very much of the church in Egypt, which celebrated it today in such great trauma and turmoil. So uh, I actually have to ask you to work a little bit harder to pay attention today, because it is so familiar. I want us to focus on Jesus, his thoughts, his heart, 
and to renew our faith and our love for him. So here's the point. Jesus, the humble, life-giving king, enters Jerusalem on God's mission at the start of this Holy Week, Passover week. He deserves our allegiance, our worship, and our service. Let me just start with a couple of preliminary points a bit, uh, not part of the text. I'd like to think that with God, the writer and originator, and Jesus, the director and actor, Palm Sunday is more than just an entertaining day for parade lovers, just stuck in before things get really serious with uh, uh, the Last Supper and Gethsemane and, and Good Friday and then, of course, Victorious Easter. I want us to see that the Old Testament prophets foretold and Jesus choreographed this day very precisely. Second, the four Gospels record that for months Jesus has been moving towards Jerusalem, pointing towards this day and this week as he traveled towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem now filling with pilgrims preparing for the Passover celebration. Some say ten Ten times, six times, ten times the population normally in that city. Josephus got a little exaggerated. He thought there were two million people in the city that day, but if you look at it, it seems like that was a little exaggerated. Uh, Or on Passover Sunday uh, weeks. Uh, But Jesus had warned his baffled disciples that he was going to Jerusalem to die a cruel death. And the people were already, of course, they had noticed already plotting to get rid of him somehow. Thirdly, strangely, even during this whole last year of his ministry while he was teaching and doing miracles, he deliberately tried to keep his messiahship secret, squelch it a little bit, even said, don't tell anybody until today when he openly declares that he's the messiah. He talked plenty about the kingdom of God, but who was the king? Now, the city of Jerusalem was abuzz, it says in the Gospels, asking the questions, will Jesus come? Will the Master come? And so they're kind of waiting to see what was happening. There's an air of anticipation. A last little preliminary thing. You could talk a lot about Jewish history and Josephus and some of the descriptions, but several scholars and sources claim that the Romans in Palestine, fearful of Jewish uprisings during this time when the city is packed with loyal, patriotic Jews, put on an annual display of imperial power prior to the Passover at the beginning of that week, parading into Jerusalem from a military fortress called Caesarea Maritima, 75 miles west towards the sea, at the sea. And they came with horses, chariots, soldiers, and a whole regal array. Some even say Herod Antipas, or in one case, Pontius Pilate, led the parade on a horse. Just kind of stick that in your mind as we go through the passage. So we're going to go through the Gospel of Luke and some of Matthew with four scenes, kind of like a drama, like a play, specifically recorded here. Our first, a donkey, a password, and a prophecy. Jesus has walked many times all his life, walked, and walked from Galilee this time down the Jordan Valley to towards Jerusalem, through Jericho in the Gospels, blind Bartimaeus, and so on, and up to Bethany. And he only had a couple miles to go into Jerusalem. 
But this time, he texted ahead of time and, and, and ordered a rental taxi to transport him from Bethany. Now, Bethany was where he had a bed and breakfast with Mary, Martha, and, and Lazarus. He had done the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. And so uh, it even says in Matthew that he went back to Bethany that night, and during that Passover week, likely he was sleeping in, in, Beth- in Bethany. And then he had the, the password for the uh, rental group. The Lord needs it. That's all he had to say. And they gave him the donkey. Why this surprising donkey? Such a kind of maybe insignificant fact we find was very important. And so in the Gospel of Matthew, he describes it. They took place, this took place. This donkey and this trip to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes. And I'll give the full quote from, uh, well, we had it in our scripture reading. The early services didn't read it. So let me just repeat it. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Good Hebrew uh, use of uh, personification of the city. See, your king comes to you. A king. Righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. Oh, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken and he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea. This four-legged taxi ride was not a last-minute idea because he was tired out at all. Something very important and long-planned was happening. We know kings ride on horses, and they did some in the Old Testament, but there also were times in the Old Testament, David and others, who rode in in peace on donkey. It was an, uh, an animal of peace. Now, Pastor West sometimes sings in his sermons, and you like it. Can I read you a poem in my sermon today? I like this donkey. It's by G.K. Chesterton, and some of you know it. Somebody in the first service came, oh, I just read that this week, and I thought I was the only one who knew this poem. G.K. Chesterton. It's from the donkey's point of view and his poor, lowly place in life. When fishes flew and forests walked and figs grew upon a thorn, some moment when the moon was blood, that surely was when I was born. Poor donkey. With monstrous head and sickening cry and ears like errant wings, the devil's walking parody on all four, of all four-footed things. The tattered outlaw of the earth of ancient crooked will Go ahead, starge, scourge, deride me. I am dumb. I keep my secret still. Fools, for I also had my hour. One far fierce hour and sweet. There was a shout about my ears and palms before my feet. So a little credit to the donkey today. (laughs) I like that poem of Chesterton. But the point of it is, Jesus knew this was an important day. The plot is clear. Jesus deliberately announced his coming role as Israel's long-anticipated Messiah, King David's successor, the Prince of Peace. Peace for Israel, but peace for the nations. His mission this week was to give his life a ransom to many, for many, for the nations, for us to find our peace with God. That was scene one. Scene two, we can move on to the next. 
the crowd, the shouts, and the stones. The stones. His followers did not miss the point and led him along with a carpet of clothes and palm branches, waving shouts of praise from the Psalms we heard in our call to worship today, Psalm 118. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So who were these people shouting and praising the Lord? I think many of them were pilgrims on their way for the Passover, great Passover feast. Maybe traveled with him down the dusty roads, the Jordan Valley, all the way from Galilee. Of course, some were from Jericho and some were from Bethany. The crowd kept getting larger. And in Bethany, of course, they were people who had even witnessed the miracles, the miracle of Lazarus. So Jesus accepts their praise and doesn't say much. He's just going along with the celebration until the infiltrating Pharisees told Jesus to silence the crowd. And what does he say? Maybe they were worried about the extra guard around the temple, the Roman guards and all the extra uh, people looking for danger. And Jesus replies, I tell you that if these people keep quiet, the stones will cry out and shout. Well, that'll be a new one for your science class, won't it, to talk about shouting stones, geology. Is he just going over the top, hyperbole again? I'd like to offer another Old Testament passage that might give us a clue. Strangely, from the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. In the 530s B.C., Daniel was in Babylon, and he's praying for his city of Jerusalem, for hope and restoration. And God sends the angel Gabriel to answer his prayer. Now, it gets a, I won't say dicey, but it's, it's, it's complicated. And it's, it's uh, you know, there's all kinds of stuff you can preach from Daniel. And I'm not a, a guy in a slick plaid suit who's got a pointer and a chart I'll pull down and we're going to go into this. But just listen to these words a minute, because I think they are fascinating Seventy-sevens, verse 24, Daniel 9, Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgressions, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this. From the time, from the, time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, until the anointed one, the ruler, comes... There will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. And now your mind is spinning, and I hope we aren't going to go into all this. Well, we won't rehash all the possibilities of interpretation. It's complex prophecy. But several esteemed biblical scholars have pointed out uh, that there's a possibility here that Gabriel is referring to Artaxerxes' undisputed decree in 445 B.C., mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 2, to rebuild the city walls. I say undisputed because historians are very clear when Artaxerxes lived and what date and what time, the month of Nisan and so on. Not the car, the month of Nisan. And um, that's 445 B.C. Well, who are these scholars? Well, I want to give them credit. One is Dr. Alva McLean, founder and president of Grace Biblical Seminary, Grace Seminary, Theological Seminary in, in uh, Winola Lake, and there are a few people here at Houghton connected to that. And then our own Houghton alum, very famous alum, Dr. Bruce Waltke, talks about this, uh, a distinguished Old Testament scholar. So there are people, even a professor of mine at Trinity, who, who look at this 
uh, numerical kind of prophecy and, and start counting the days from 445 B.C. Keeping it simple, they understood the weeks or the sevens to be a grouping of seven years. And in Daniel, you take 62 plus 7, it says, that's not 69, right? 69 times 7 years is 483 years. Now you have to get into leap years and how many days in a year and how it gets complicated. But there is a possibility that you take that decree and you count the days and it comes to exactly the day, Palm Sunday, 32 A.D., when Jesus entered Jerusalem. That may not turn you on, but it is possibly a reason why Jesus would say, all right, so quiet the people. If they are quiet, the stones are going to shout out. This is a day on God's calendar. This is the time when he announces his Messiah coming to Jerusalem. God has a mission. God has a plan. And here's the cue. Roll the tape. Roll the film. Here comes Jesus. Nothing could stop him. This is a big thing. God's world today, he has a mission. He has a plan of redemption. He has hope for this world. I think sometimes we lose hope. News like this morning. News like last week. Millions of refugees flooding out of countries. People in South Sudan starving to death. I mean, you sometimes just wonder if God is asleep. And I think this points to me that God is not asleep. God has a plan. A plan for Jerusalem and Israel, yes. But we know God has even larger kingdom plans for our world. He commissions us to partner in that mission, telling the good news of Christ. And we can trust God to be faithful with us. That's why my view of mission, my theology of mission is... It's God's mission, and we partner with him in his mission. And that gives us great confidence as we look at our world today. The stones. Well, then number three, another quick little segment of this story. There's a look, and there's pause, and there are tears. Luke only brings this little exclusive scoop Jesus takes a bend in the road and suddenly there is, there's a twist in the plot because he looks over and sees Jerusalem before him. Joy and happiness and celebration all around him, but tears on the face of Jesus. If you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you. And he goes on with those tragic and Graphic descriptions. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And Jesus later in the week goes back to the temple and teaches. And one of the parables he teaches in the next chapter, Luke chapter 20, is the parable of the tenants. Very much this idea of I came and you rejected me. I'm also reminded of John the Gospel's Poignant words, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, born of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I think Jesus looks out on our world today 
as described in Matthew, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Who's going to weep with them? Who's going to pray for them? Who's going to share the good news of peace with them? He sees our wars, and he sees the troubled world, and he sees ahead to the long-term prospects unless people have him. So now the message of this day is even clearer. Jesus comes. He cares. He loves. He weeps. He invites. He warns. Do we have this same longing? Are we looking for kingdom breakthroughs in our world, for refugees, for the inner cities, for the streets and hilly roads in Allegheny County with potholes? Are we desperate for the next generation of children, for our youth, for young adults at Houghton College and other universities to meet the Prince of Peace, to receive abundant life? Do we weep? Do we pray? Do we care? Do we work? I just heard this week from uh, Dr. Don Little. He came from a conference in Portland, Oregon, and some workers from Europe working with refugees told the story in Sweden. I'll tell a different one this service. Three Muslim women came to a rather cold state church, a Lutheran church. Oh, I shouldn't have said Lutheran, but it was a, you know, it's just kind of a cold church that hadn't really done much with sharing the gospel. And they came and said, can you tell us the gospel? Oh, they had to scramble. What, is, what do you mean? Can you tell us about Jesus? And they pulled together some Bible studies and the three women began to study. And, and the long story short, they gave their hearts to the Lord. And then they wanted to tell others. And they wanted to tell others properly. So the church sent them to some training sessions. And they believed in ordaining women. So they stamped some authority on them and said, go ahead, preach. Believe it or not, those women are traveling around Sweden today, planting Muslim background believer churches at a rapid pace. I mean, there's some good news. People are responding to Jesus in our crazy world today. Let's not forget that picture. And there are more pictures like it. Finally, another little glimpse. The last act, and I've included the cleansing of the temple. I know it happens on Monday. Luke just slips right into the story and doesn't say it's Monday. Matthew tells us that Jesus continued on from the triumphal entry down to the city, and the children still praised and, and shouted hosannas, and the Pharisees and the leaders said, keep those quiet children quiet. And he said, no, I can't. Out of the mouths of babes will come the praises. And, and so he even heals people in the temple there. And, uh, and then it says he walked around and he observed. And there he was in the outer courts of the temple, seeing all the commerce. But he didn't do anything about it on Sunday. But he went back to Bethany that night. And I think this proves that he planned to do what he, planned, what he did on Monday. Uh, where am I? So Sunday, or Monday he comes back to the temple and he goes about his cleansing of the temple and driving the, uh, the marketers out of the court of the Gentiles where they were drowning out proper worship with their business. And he quotes Isaiah 56, 7. My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. A lot of theories of why he cleansed the temple, but the one that 
Somebody like me who studied mission fields, he cleansed the temple because he was upset that the Gentiles were prohibited from worshiping in their court because of all the commerce going on. So now Jesus has completed kind of his introductory announcement that the Messiah has come, the anointed one has come to his temple, has come to his city. The introduction to the Holy Week that we're going through now. He comes to declare salvation to the city, to the nation, to the people of God, and to the whole room, to, to the whole world. Make room for him. So what kind of king is this? He's the Messiah, the hope of Israel, the king of peace, the prince of peace for the whole world. Good story and wonderful story, but what does it mean to us? Let's face it. This was Jesus' day. This was Jesus' week. This was his moment. Triumphant, yes, today, but we know that he came with courage and determination to obey and fulfill his mission that would take him all the way to the cross. But ultimately, it was a week of triumph and victory. It's all about him. But it's also about our response to him just as it was about the reception that the people did or didn't give to him in Jerusalem. Jesus came anticipating a royal throne, but the throne was the hearts of people. Jesus was making his final appeal. Will you not even now yet accept me as your Lord and King and enthrone me in your hearts? What courage, what love, what submission... We mustn't miss the invitation. We must enthrone him in our hearts and lift him up for others to see in our world today. We must join the chorus of the faithful, boldly declaring him as our Savior. Our hope isn't a temporary, in a temporary political Savior, someone to turn over the tide of all that's going on in the world in that kind of way, but in the coming King of the universe. God's kingdom, God's mission, must become our mission. And our prayer must become, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right on, King Jesus. We're with you. We're with you. Amen. Lord, we thank you with a deep love and deep sacrifice and your steps of faith and your obedience to the Father's plan. Thank you for Scripture, for these vivid stories that show us what your plan is. Help us to receive Christ in our hearts. Help us to take Christ to the world, the hurting world, following his example, his ways, his compassion, his love, his peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Receive the benediction from the New Testament. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Amen. Thank you.